AgriTalk is brought to you by Case IH. Solutions for every challenge, equipment for every farm. Case IH, built by farmers. And by Grounded. Spray smarter and improve herbicide performance with Grounded, a multifunctional adjuvant from Helena. Markets are closed. Federal government is taking the day off to celebrate our past presidents. And AgriTalk is fired up and ready to roll. We had a conversation last week in Louisville that was so good, we're going to hear it again. And then let's talk about the global economy. From President's Day in the USA via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we'll talk with Machinery Pete Greg Peterson in an encore presentation from the National Farm Machinery Show. Then we've got Andrew McRae, who had a fascinating conversation with Cornelia Barr from John Deere. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Yeah, here we are. It's the middle of February, and it's a day off. That must mean that we are celebrating our presidents of the past. I don't know what else it could possibly mean. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. How you doing, man? Oh, super terrific. Super Good. terrific. Uh, you know, uh, we missed you last week. Yeah, yeah. Not as much as I missed you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pulled up at the, uh, what was it, the Braidwood Inn, were you there? Oh, boy. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. People train yeah. runs out of Stubville. <laughs> I didn't have to go that far to get okay. home. But, but at some point, at some point, you know, make the trip to a different airport than what I flew home to to retrieve the truck and uh, get everything back to normal. Wow. Oh, man. The storm that that rolled through last week really buggered things up at the end of the week. Sure did. And, uh, yeah, made it difficult to, to get home. But you know what? You just stay calm because you look around and you realize... You're not the only one in this situation. There was a lot of people at the big airport in Chicago that uh, were dealing with the same situation that I was. Wow. So, Like a twig on the shoulders of a mighty river. Just go with it. You gee, know, just, that's all you I, what, can do at some point. What else point. can you do? And you see people getting mad at the poor people behind the counter. Oh, I know. Public They've service announcement. Their, don't do that, people. It's not uh, their fault. Don't do that. There is nothing they can do. They're doing their yeah. best. You, at least you, you you hope they're doing their best. Oh, it's just really something. Really yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in okay. your absence, in your yeah. absence, uh, you know, I was holding on. It was a white knuckle grip on the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk on yeah. Friday morning because last week there was so much news to go over. Can I just throw some headlines at you, just bounce a few of these off of you? Sure, let's do it. All right. Well, first of all, you're going to love this one. The cost of the farm bill is reaching record heights. Meanwhile, yeah. the Congressional Budget Office has goose egg, that's zero, in for ad hoc crop disaster assistance. right, right. right. So uh, what what is it? $1.4 trillion, 83.3% of it mm-hmm. going to the nutrition title. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned that to some producers last week. Yeah. And you, you keep hearing, you know, it, the, the response is similar. 
pretty soon we're not going to be able to call it a farm bill anymore. Mm. I don't know if you want to go down that path. I think it should be the farm bill that includes the nutrition title. That's mm-hmm. how we that that's how the stakeholders in the farm bill get the bill passed. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it happens. Um it it's it's really something now the the Congressional Budget Office talking about zero in there for ad hoc. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that because you can't plan for a disaster. You can't plan for emergency spending. What you can do is plan to beef up the insurance program so that it will lower the need for ad hoc disaster and emergency spending instead the cbo is saying listen if you really want to save some money on this thing what you got to do is look at the 3.2 percent that's going to be spent on title one on the commodity title and start peeling away at some of the subsidies on crop insurance Mm. here's how you can do it you know what i don't think we're interested in your opinion cbo (laughs) I I honestly don't. Your job is to analyze the budgetary impacts of the policies that are put forth by Congress. I don't see anywhere in the charter for the CBO that is their responsibility to say to the lawmakers, you know, but if you would change this, it's not your job, CBO. I'm not Mm. interested. Well, here's something that might lighten your mood a little bit. You get, you kind of got fired up there just a little bit. Um, <laughs> you, you watched the Super Bowl, didn't you? Yeah. Did you take in the uh, EV commercials, including uh, the premature electrification commercials? Yes. You know that yes. Okay. I yeah. spoke with Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association, fresh off testifying before Congress yeah. on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. He's talking about uh, the thought is to add a clean fuels standard to run parallel with the renewable fuels standard um, because we've talked about why don't they see biofuels, ethanol, as a way to clean up tailpipe emissions, et cetera, et cetera. Problem is, on Friday, Jim Wiesmeyer said, yeah, but ethanol might not be meet the standard of part of this clean fuels standard. Any thoughts? But but it might. It It absolutely might. might. There are ways to make it happen, and one of the ways to make it happen is controversial, I know that, but it, the CO2 pipelines, if we stick that CO2 underground and it becomes a net zero carbon or even a negative carbon fuel, uh-huh. yeah, because we are permanently sequestering the carbon from the ethanol production, there's no denying, there is no, there would be no denying that it is at least zero zero carbon or very close. Like I said, that's a that's a controversial answer, uh, a controversial mm-hmm. solution mm-hmm. that is going to take time to flesh out and landowners in the pipeline companies still have conversations to have before yeah. that can be done. But it it it's something that might happen. Yep, yep. Well Cooper Cooper seemed in pretty good spirits over it, so uh, I feel good about it. Chip, this this next one, I'm just going to read this one down. Uh, I think this is important. Attention, farmers, dicamba users. EPA is setting new deadlines for farmers to apply dicamba 
with June 12, a new deadline in Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana versus a June 20 deadline last year. South Dakota, you're at June 20 this year uh, versus June 30 deadline last year. Nebraska objects to moving the deadline to June 12 and successfully lobbied that the uh, Nebraska deadline remains at June 30. In Minnesota, we're mixed. The deadline will be June 12 south of I-94, June 30 deadline for areas north of the highway, taking some action on uh, when you can and cannot apply dicamba in those states, Chip. Yeah, we're trying to get away from the reproductive period on uh, the soybeans to minimize the impact if there is some drift that takes place. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I so much enjoyed the conversation with the guys at Ag Leader uh, last week down at the National Farm Machinery Show because they were talking about that you know, new technology in the nozzles to make it work. All right. Good stuff, Davis. And speaking of the National Farm Machinery Show, I had a conversation with Greg Peterson down there, Machinery Pete. It was so good. We're going to hear it again next, right here on AgriTalk. My mom's got a new case I extractor and... It can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car. Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. Machine repeat here, folks. This segment of AgriTalk brought to you by our friends at Dakota Ag Innovations, makers of Dakota Shine, the best way I've seen to fix faded paint. Go to dakotashine.com or call 888-996-7801. All right, welcome back to the National Farm Machinery Show down here in Louisville, Kentucky. Glad to be down here. Big thanks to Great Plains for making it possible for us to bring you coverage from the National Farm Machinery Show. All right, we broke him away. He just got off the stage not that long ago, but here he is, Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. It's good to see you face-to-face and have a conversation, man. How are you? Well, back at you, buddy. Good to see you. I'm doing well. Uh, it's my first time here at the show in three years. So we had the year off, and then I caught a little bug last year, so it's fun to be back. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so you had a seminar this morning talking about what's going on on the used machinery market. Yep. It was. What kind, of, uh, what kind of reactions are you getting? Well, I think people, you know, everyone's aware of the market, and it's just. Yeah. I, I told the folks, you know, I, I'm not trying to be cute or whatever, but I literally run out of adjectives to describe the conditions. And uh, we just talked about the forces at work. I think the supply of used is still a main driving force, uh, and it seemed like the audience, the availability factor, was really resonating. 
We had guys asking about availability with combines. Uh, a lot of questions on the supply of used on dealer lots, what we see happening there. So, yeah, people have just had to adjust to this reality that none of us, frankly, have ever seen before. Yeah. You know, whether you like it or not, the power of it. And I described, I was at, because it had been three years since I've been here, I showed, we did a little time machine exercise. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, walk with me back this spot, this show, three years ago. So right before, literally right before the pandemic hit, yep. the income hadn't shot up yet in, in a country. That was fall of 20. So we were already starting to see, even then, a little bump. And that was just farmers needing to replace their equipment. But I, I told the audience about how March and April of 20, auction prices shot up. Yeah. When everything was shutting down, auctions were going online. And I, I told the audience, to me, it was like we threw a big rope, a lasso, around the whole farm equipment market and just yanked it yeah. seven to ten years forward to begin to catch up a little bit to the auto side. So now, you know, that click the button, we all live on our phones, the power of it. So I shared a number of slides from down south that over the 33 years I've been tracking auction prices, there used to be, a, frankly, a large gap yeah. between what you know, where you are around Waterloo, Iowa, where I am, Rochester, Minnesota, and say, you know, fill in the blank, Mississippi or Alabama or yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. And now there's literally no difference. Right. And a big part of that is the on, like you say, the online you, your audience, your potential buyer pool is everywhere. Yeah. And when the when the market is so tight, uh, you know, I, sh I shared an example last Friday in Mississippi of a John Deere 8410 that went for 134,330 bucks, fourth highest ever, and it had like 4500 hours on it. And it was in Mississippi. Yep. So that's it's a different world, and it's it's just about can I get my hands on it? Doesn't matter now where it is. Yeah, the availability issue is as you said, it, it's it's in there. It's in everyone's mind right now that hey, there it is. It's available to me right now. If I don't make it mine, right, I may not be able to get something later. Everybody's dealing with a bigger platform now, a big, a bigger area to buy from, and the availability yeah. issue is still there, Greg. Yeah, it is. And, you know, farmers are very savvy. They're smart. And, you know, if you're buying, I mean, you obviously don't like the fact that uh, you're paying a double premium, but farmers realize that this is just the way it is now. Yeah. So I know Big Iron had a sale, I think, two Wednesdays ago where they sold an 8530 deer, 5,014 hours. Went for $210,250, second highest price ever. And you go, whoa, with those hours? How did that happen? Yeah. But go to machinerypeat.com and, and shop for an 8530 pre-emission, pre-tier four. And yeah. there's like there's like 10 yeah. nationwide. So if you want a really nice one, and just like you said, here it is today. If I click the bid button, I can bring it home. And yeah. that's literally all that matters. So. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. So then the question is, when people are asking me now, well, when does that change? And this is a tricky part because, you know, everyone's looking ahead. You know, you try to batten down the hatches or whatever, get ready for when the market turns. And people, our whole experience in our past has been like, when that happens, used equipment values drop like a rock. It, times are tough, but hey, I can get a good deal on that planter, that tractor, that combine. But all I'm saying is, folks, look at the supply issue now on the dealer lots, and it's just not there. Yeah. So if things do turn, and my my gentle point is that yes use values will soften but i don't think they're going to drop as much as people think they are okay that inventory on the lot if if all of the sudden we can start putting new equipment out there 
that oh, changes, changes the market. Changes everything. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I had three little, uh, uh, I put them on the screen talking to the folks. It was like three things I'm, I'm watching. Um, and so one is the interest rate. We're starting to see some of the wholesalers of equipment and the, and the dealers, the carrying costs, because this late model use stuff is so expensive now. It's 300 a dealer might have 350000 in that four-wheel yeah. drive tractor. And if that sits on the lot and the interest rate keeps going up a quarter point, half a point, yeah. you know, they're starting to feel like, well, i got to move this thing. So that might create a little bit of downward pressure. Uh, and then the, I don't know if you, you've probably been talking about it or tying on the U.S. Farm Report taping, but the whole China thing. Yeah. And I, I try to steer, steer clear of politics, but I showed a picture of the balloon being shot down. And I was like, I don't know if this is a metaphor for a bubble <laughs> bursting, but... You know, and hopefully uh, it won't get sideways in terms of exports and things like that. Right. But the other piece, like you say, is on the new side. If the if the supply chain snafu starts to loosen all at once too much, that's in jeopardy for manufacturers and dealers. Because yeah. if that hits a lot right as the market turns, that won't. You know, then things are obviously all bets are off. Then right, right. You know, the other side of the or the other component that we need to consider here is what I talk about on the afternoon show all the time, and that's the markets and the revenue potential mm. that guys are dealing with. If that revenue poten- if, if that revenue starts to fall, as is projected by USDA, then I think that's got to take a little starch out of the market, too. Oh, absolutely. In fact, one of the things, we need to collaborate, Chip, because I need to get the corn charts and the soybean charts to put against my used machinery value yeah. charts yeah, because they are going to, they are just, they're going to mirror. Right. And now the only thing different this time is we've never seen the back end with dealers having so little inventory. Yes. So that might soften the blow, but no question, whenever markets do turn, uh, yeah, the edge comes off for sure. Then the question is, <clears throat> how much does the edge come off? How far do we fall? And back end. In uh, 13, 14, 15, it was, it was 15 to 25% we dropped late model used equipment values. That was a big drop. But dealers had way too much excess inventory then. Now there's fewer dealers. They're larger dealers. They have way less stuff. So to me, the recipe is different, and it's an open question how far we would fall. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to ask you to pro- project, but I would will ask you to what are you watching for to suggest that we're on the other side of this super strong market? Well, uh, great question. So we're all looking for the canary in the coal mine. And yeah. I, I think that's why I started 33 years ago compiling the auction price because, that, you know, basically chatter doesn't matter. Right. Right now where you put this thing up for sale and it's like, oh, that's all for 15% over what anyone thought. Yep. All that matters is the number. Right. And... So since December 10th, for example, we've started to see, and I talked about this in the seminar, the one- to three-year-old used combines. They have softened, and dealers are starting to verbalize, like, oh, okay, that might be an issue. So the two things, you know, what did it sell for today? And the second thing is we have to watch, just like you said, the volume on the lot, new and used. When you start seeing that inventory visually go up, I'll guarantee you the auction prices will have already been ahead of that. Yep. Yep, and that's yep. why we, we make all this all auction prices free. We want your listeners, Chip, to go machinerypeat.com. I had a guy ask me, said, Pete, I'm looking to buy a John Deere 8100 two-wheel drive after the seminar. He goes, it's got 3,000 hours. The guy's asking 75 k My gut tells me it's cheap. What do you think? 
And I said, you know, he looked at all the pictures, and I said, yeah, I think our numbers would confirm your gut. But confirm it. Yep. Because these things are so wild now. Don't go just off your gut. Go look. Yep. Go punch up John Deere 8100 tractor prices. Filter by the highest price first, most recent. And you can look and see, oh, one just sold for 82.5 or whatever. Yeah. And then you go, well, I'll write the check for 75 all day long at that point. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. So what's caught your eye down here? Well, I love sitting here at Great Plains, our friends. I mean, we've got tillage and planting equipment, two of the hottest sectors. Yeah. So I see, we're sitting right in front of a, a 1006 NT drill, and then you got your high-speed tillage, and uh, those sectors have been hot. So I've been watching those, walking around the show, but i got to tell you, the one thing that caught my eye most, Yeah. people get on me about this, but I, I posted a video yesterday. The star of the show is that 1990 John Deere 4455. They have in their display with 94 hours on it. Oh, jeez. It's a barn find out of Kentucky. It used to be the brand new piece of equipment on the farm was the show piece. Yeah, I mean, that that was what everybody focused on. But when you find that barn find yep. where it's a hidden piece that's got 20 years on it with low hours, that's the thing that really gets guys well, going. Well, even now, it's, it, doesn't, yep. it doesn't have to be a barn find, just a nice older one people love. So. Exactly. Greg, it's great to see you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, you bet. Thanks, Jim. All right. That's Greg Peterson. You should know him as Machinery Pete. We are at the 2023 National Farm Machinery Show. Thanks to Great Plains. We'll be back right after this message. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. The month is a little more than half done, and it is time to take a look at the performance of both December 2023 corn futures and November 2023 soybean futures. Those contracts are used to determine the spring crop insurance price for revenue protection. The average of the new crop contracts in February is that spring price. The close in December corn on February 1 was 596 and a quarter. Since then, the trend in December corn has been mostly sideways, but there was a slightly lower bias in the average trade. On Friday, the average for December corn was near 595, just a penny and a quarter below the February 1 close. At the start of the month, most growers agreed it would be really cool if December corn ended the month with an average price above 590. And with just six trading days left in the month, odds are favoring that result. And just a reminder, the base price for 2022 corn revenue coverage was $590. The close in November soybeans on February 1 was $1360 and a quarter. Since then, the trend in November soybeans has been a slow grind to the upside. 
The average of the contract on Friday was up to $13.74. That's 14 cents above the February 1 close. At the start of the month, growers were hoping for a February rally to lift the average closer to 2022's spring price for soybeans at $14.33. That does not seem to be in the cards with just six trading days left in the month. Last year, Russia's invasion of Ukraine near the end of the month spiked volatility and raised insurance premiums. This year, both corn and soybean growers will hopefully benefit from a lower volatility when premiums are calculated. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. And welcome back to AgriTalk on this President's Day. Glad that you were making some time for us. Great conversation there that we just had with Greg Peterson from uh, Machinery Pete down at the uh, National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. Davis, he he had a presentation mm-hmm. that that lasted an hour. Okay, yep. He got off the stage, and a half hour later, there was still just a crowd around mm-hmm. Machinery Pete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to pull him away from that crowd to get him over to Great Plains to have the conversation that we just heard with us. And as as we were pulling him away from this group of people, there were guys saying, hey, wait a second, wait a second. I, ju- <laughs> I just want to get my picture taken. So, Greg, thank you so much for making time. Andrew McCray. All right. Yes. Farming the Countryside podcast mm-hmm. available on all your favorite podcast platform, including including AgriTalk app. You can get it there. Uh, had a conversation with Canela Barr. She is the John Deere Director of Corporate Economics there. Uh, had it at Top Producer Summit. We're going to catch the highlights from it right now. Why don't you begin by just talking about your route to John Deere? Uh, because uh, you have an interesting story and then getting into the economist side of things as well. Definitely, definitely. So um, I was born and raised in Thailand. And when you think of Thailand, you'll think about Bangkok or Chiang Mai, places like that. But I was born and raised right along the Mekong River. So that's kind of rural part of Thailand, right in the middle of the rice country. So I love agriculture um, since I grew up because as I was able to witness what's happening in Thailand. Before I left in 2002 to come to study Iowa State, that's how I get to um, to the U.S. and before I start working for John Deere. But back then, even in Thailand, where the, the, I saw rice farmers still plow their land using water buffalo to pull the plow. We, they were still harvesting using the crescent knife to harvest by hand. So I was able to firsthand first witness all of these changes that happened, how productivities could really be increased and how mechanization can really help change people's life in Thailand. So that's how I became to love agriculture. Uh, so that is interesting. So because of that heritage, if you will, then that influences what you do today and how you perhaps look at the world. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And having that perspective from different parts of the world in different crops and different technology side really has been helpful for my, my work and also for my perspective as an economist. 
Was it a dream to work for John Deere, or how did that begin to happen? Because John Deere is, you know, the company known worldwide in agriculture. Absolutely. Beyond my dream, it's been a really great um, company to work for. The core value that we have, the integrity we have, and to always put our customers first and do everything to help um, providing value to our customers. So definitely has been a, a great, great career so far. So let's talk about the economy, and there's lots of different places we could go, but maybe first just give us the state of the U.S. economy. Where do we stand, and perhaps is it what we believe it is, or is there some misconceptions about where we're at right now? I I would say this. um, As we all know, that the inflation has been a problem to the U.S. economy. You know, last year, the inflation peaked at... Nine and at nine point one percent, that was almost forty year high, somewhere along there. So, so as a result of that, by design, we have seen the 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 Federal Reserve Bank has been increasing the interest rate rapidly to cool down the the inflation. So, I would expect that because of that, we would likely going to see some of the economic slowdown in the U.S. And um, so, consumer spending is gonna kind of taper off. We have already seen quite a bit of um, decline in the housing market as well. So, um, and Labor market has been cooling off a little bit as well. So as we progress through the the rest of the year, I would continue to see that continue to cool down throughout the year. I know that this question is somewhat intertwined with the question you get a lot of, okay, are we headed to a recession and so forth? And some people have said, well, will we have a soft landing if we we can accomplish that? What are we seeing so far? Because you mentioned we're off the peaks so do we nosedive or do we have the soft landing? <laughs> so I'll first remind you that economists did forecast nine out of the last five recessions. So that's a good record that we have so far <laughs> as economists. So um, I will put it this way. If the Fed's able to accomplish soft landing, that would be great. But if not right now, I, with the probability of the U.S. economy running into a recession over the next 12 months, is probably about 60%. So it's more than 50%. So we're more likely that we might be. But also, we want to point out that even if we are in the recession, it is likely going to be different than the last recession we saw. It's likely going to be more mild, more shallow, and also short-lived, as we were expect to see some of those slow down this year, but likely going to be some recovery in 2024. So it's definitely not the repeat of what we saw in the great financial crisis in 2009. Well, looking at some of the information that you share, I thought it was interesting talking about labor. We are already employing more people than we were pre-recession is that our pre-covid is that right that is right that is right and i don't know what is what we call these what we will call these uh, labor hoarding because companies have seen how laborers are reshuffling quite a bit so i think the first we have companies trying to get labor as we can they might have to hire a little bit more just in case before changing their jobs so they have some labor force there and second of all if you look at the participation rate, it is still below what it was before. So we have here, company wants more labor, but on the supply side, we still have about maybe 2 million people or more still stay off the sideline. So therefore, that's why we see this market continue to be too, too, pretty tight. But as we look into the rest of the year, as I mentioned, when we see the slowdown in the economy, that's going to help loosen the market up a little bit. So I think right now the Fed forecast to see labor unemployment rate climb from 3.5% to about 4.6% by the end of this year. As an economist, when we think about COVID and we had this thing that completely disrupted us, are we going to come back to just where we're at and keep on a trend line up? Or did some things, do you think, change in a sense forever or for a long time fundamentally? Um, I think that's a great question. And I, I would probably point out that 
what happened in COVID might accelerate a lot of trends. For example, um, the trend of people working from home. That's probably going to come back a little bit, but that might be a permanent trend. People will be able to have that flexibility. And also the trend of globalization. You might have seen some of the headlines talking about companies might be de-globalized or changing the way we supply chain works. So I think that might be something that is early to, to say, but over the long term, you're probably going to see some of those continue to be the trend there. In the U.S., of course, we see what we experience around us. I'm curious, are we seeing this in most other countries in the world with similar uh, types of trends? Are they steeper trends or, or, or deeper trends than here? What do we see globally? Yeah, um, let's pick a labor. I think labor is becoming a problem in many of developed countries. If you look at demographic, it's not just the U.S. Uh, people are aging. Our, we have our older population. That's also a, a similar situation in many developed countries in Europe. And the immigration problems or labor shortage is even more acute in the U.K. You move over to, 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 to China, they are for the first time seeing the population declining, right? So we therefore... Those are the, the trend in aging population is probably not just us. So then going forward, I think it's going to be upon us to figure out how do we continue the growth with smaller population in many of the countries. Let's talk about agriculture then as we think about how this transfers over to agriculture. I'm sure there are positives and, and minuses, uh, so to speak, with this. So what do we see for U.S. agriculture as we move into this year but also into future years? You know, Despite all the economic slowdown in the U.S. and even probably recession in Europe and many parts of the world slow down there, I think ag is still the bright spot. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, because if you look at the demand for crops, so that's grains and oil seeds, you look at USDA forecast there, we continue to grow, even though it's not growing as fast, but it's still at record level, despite all these economic slowdowns. So I think on the demand side, it seems to be standing there. So that's a good side. And on the supply side, um, just the past few years, we have seen a, a, quite a bit of crop loss in many parts of the world. So that keeps stocks pretty tight. So therefore, with demand still holding and supply still uncomfortably tight, so I think that's going to be a sign that we're going to see some of these prices continue to be elevated. It's not going to be what we saw last year right now. I mean, weather pending. You know, weather can always do a lot of change in the ag economy. But but given um, the price where we are today compared to where we were in the 16 to 18, is definitely at, at the, a good level. And also, if you look at from the, the input side, that has came down quite substantially. I mean, there's still some upside pressure because we took away that um, that supply from China and also some from Belarus. So that's going to be um, – that supply is shrinking, but and also demand might be coming back this year. But but as it stands today, I think the, the, the price is still pretty good from the input side. So I think folks are still making favorable margins. Well, and margins is the key word there because you hear a lot of people say, okay, well, my prices are still good, but it costs so much more. It's, you broke down in your, some of your research talking about specifics, it's fertilizer, and so forth. Are there any places where you say, okay, this is moving back down, but, well, these are maybe staying steady or moving higher? What do you see as we break some of those inputs down? Yeah, um, I'm not the input expert here, but from what we understand in the market right now, it's been coming down, I think, probably 30 40% from the peak last year. So it, it, it's been coming down, and some of the input actually went back to, you know, 2021 level. So that's a good level. But if you think on the supply and demand side going forward, you know, last year the price was high, so we saw some demand actually pull back. I think globally we used 8% less global 
go um, fertilizers and input. So we use 8% less going forward. I mean, you can mine the, the soil for so long. So you're probably going to see those demand coming back. And again, high price, care high price. So acreage expansion is probably going to come back too. So those demand sides likely going to see year over year increase. And on the supply side, you know, last year, we those supply that was restricted from China changing the restriction on their import on their export for PNK, um, for NNP and also Belarus side, those probably going to continue. So we might get some good guys that Russian um, export, we thought it's going to be low, but it came out better than expected. So that might be a good guy. But if you look at the balance sheet, I think it's going to be a little tighter compared to what we have in the past few months. Hey, let's take a break from that conversation with Andrew. He's going to be right back. Wrap it up with Canela Barr. She's with John Deere. Next, here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Mosaic Company, the leaders in advanced crop nutrition. And welcome back to AgriTalk on this President's Day. We're in the middle of a conversation that Andrew McRae was having with Kenlea Barr from John Deere about the global economics. Let's go ahead and get right back to it. As we think about supply, what about supply chain? Have we gotten through a lot of that, or are there still a lot of bottlenecks that will be out there? Um, I think we have seen substantial increase in that. And we look at, I'll point back to if you want to look at the, the supply chain, global supply chain index um, that was put out by the New York Fed, that has come down. It's in the, probably the best position we had in the last two years. So substantially in, in, improved. We still have some way to go. And um we initially worried about what happened in China with the open um, economy reopening, but it seems like the disruption there is not what we expected. It's better than what we expected. So, so I think that's going to help the supply chain side. And and we have seen those um, demand for truck in the U.S. actually lower than the pre-pandemic. So things are moving into the right, the right direction. We, we still have some some problems with some parts, but that's really move, really solve, resolving itself. So I think we continue to see um, significant improvement in the past, especially with the demands coming down, slowing down economy in the U.S. I think we we'll continue to see that um, significant improvement in the, 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 the few months here. Also on supply side, what about the, the war, Russia and Ukraine? Still a lot of unknowns, but how has that impacted us maybe so far, but also how could it impact us going forward with some of these things with agriculture? Yeah, no, that's a great question. The You know, you look at USDA um, number that Ukraine 
production and export has been declined between 20 and 30 percent, or maybe even more. I don't remember the, the exact number, but but it would be um, really difficult to see how those are going to come back really fast. So I think we might continue to see that restriction on the supply side um, in the next um not even just this year, but beyond this year as well. So that's definitely something that that, that we have to keep an eye on. And um, other than that, the continuing be- between um, Ukraine and Russia, we also see their big imp- exporter of other material and chemicals as well. So I think that would continue to be challenging for, for that standpoint. Um, do you see that because we have these conflicts, will that change trade, do you believe? Uh, you know, is people, countries are kind of lining up on one side or the other. Does that, and, and that's maybe more of a crystal ball question, but it certainly can impact our economy. Yeah, I think it could. Um, but also, if you think about Russians are, this year, Russian wheat exported higher than last year. Okay. Sure. And so a lot of those goes into countries like in Africa, that needs those. So, um, yes, we might see some, some trade reshuffling um, going forward. That would, that would be interesting, and especially with the situation with China. So we, we might see some of those reshuffling going forward, I, I believe so. Certainly, interest rates are on our mind. We look at these continuing to go up. What do we see then, not only this year, but maybe looking on down the road? So if you look at the, um, the the market expectation, perhaps we're looking at a couple more times of rate hikes in 2023. It might not be as the pace that we had been um, in 2022 there. So per- perhaps a couple more times, and then if the economy is going with the way the Fed is expected, perhaps we'll see that kind of tapering off and have some room for declining in interest rate the second half of the year. I guess the balancing act is, is we raise them just enough to slow things down but not completely tank things. Is that the idea? That's what we hope so, yes. But but again, if if we see the hard landing, I, many economies do expect to see that to be short-lived and not as deep as what we had experienced in the, the great financial crisis. Well, I know that I saw that in some of the studies you shared that certainly as we came out of 08 and 09, the recovery was long. This time, recovery should be shorter if we have a recovery. We, we would expect so, yes. Okay. Last time it took about six years for the labor market to recover unemployment. So I think this year, if we run into that, that situation, I think it will be a short, more short leave and shallower. As you're talking to farmers, what other risk factors are you sharing with them? What do we need to be aware of that could be happening in the economy? That's a um, great question. <laughs> I think about inflation and weather quite a bit. Um, right now, even with the, let's look at the weather first. Right now we have you know, really bad, perhaps you know, some damaged crop in, in Argentina and um, really bumper crop in, in Brazil. So we're keeping an eye on that. And then as farmers are thinking about the next season, so um, they still have a long way to go. I think the, the drought map is looking better in the western part of the country. So that what things can really change because given the last three years of crop loss globally, I think it, every year is just another un- very high uncertainty is what we are looking into. On the inflation side, I think this year with the weather we had so far, that really helped us in the U.S. and also Europeans as well because the weather has been mild. So we keep an eye on winter still have a way to go and to, to see how that weather is going to turn out for, for the winter, which would impact the energy, energy price, which could impact the inflation. So keep an eye on that very closely. And to wind up, I think we as farmers are always a little worried about change because we don't know what's coming. But uh, should we be positive about what's going on and how do we stay on the positive side of change then moving forward? Um, I am pos- I am optimistic about the agriculture. I believe that we are a part of the solution 
to um, the new way we're going to be living, especially when it comes to decarbonization and sustainability. There are many, many things that we can do, so I am optimistic about that. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Nice talking to you today. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for that. We really appreciate you sharing that conversation. Again, it was from Farming the Countryside. Andrew uh, does regular updates on it, and, and you can find it at your favorite podcast platform. And as I said earlier, the AgriTalk app, you can also um, get Andrew's take on what is going on across the country uh, in Farming the Countryside. Okay, so Davis. Um, yes. This whole economic conversation that is happening out there right now, like mm-hmm. like um, uh, Andrew uh, was talking about, we've got to keep focused on what's going to happen at the next federal open market committee meeting because, because, because it feels like the odds are moving toward a half point increase rather mm-hmm. than a 25 point increase uh, in, the, in the next, uh, after following the next um fed meeting so there's lots of uncertainty back into the interest rate market as we go forward okay we're going to solve those problems in the rest of the week glad that you joined us here on this president's day hope you're enjoying your day off tomorrow morning we're going to have a conversation with aaron wilson from ohio state uh we're going to be talking about the weather jim weismeyer will be here to give us an update on everything that is happening in Wiesmeyer's world. And this afternoon, here on AgriTalk, have a conversation with Lee Schultz from Iowa State.